Hello everyone and welcome to Humanity is a Beautiful Thing. This podcast is a safe space for nurses to be heard, to be seen and to be understood. My name is Ali and I've been an intensive care nurse for seven years. I know the reality of what it is to be a nurse, the emotional toll and the fast-paced critical challenges that we are met with every day. But during this intensity, how do we protect our well-being? As ever purposeful and fulfilling our job is, it comes with many sacrifices and challenges. Not only can it affect our personal lives and relationships, but it takes a toll on our own well-being. My guests and I have conversations on the importance of self-preservation, self-care, mental health, and tools and resources on how to protect our well-being. My hope is to inspire listeners to practice a fulfilling life of peace and happiness and potential healing so that we do not lose sight of ourselves while caring for others. Welcome back to Humanity is a Beautiful Thing. As you may or may not have picked up, I work full time and generally also pick up extra shifts. And all of us know too well the pressures of winter, it's been busy and stressful. So we are back a couple of weeks later than what I had expected. Part of developing this podcast was to shed light on the true realities of being an ICU nurse. So I try to practice what I preach about well-being and self-care, and I've needed my recent days off to reset, recharge, and do things for myself. I should forewarn this episode may be triggering and bring up a lot of feelings and emotions. I know I felt that during this interview. So please be mindful of yourselves and take breaks if you need to. But I think it's so important to have these conversations and to bring awareness of the effects of the job, what we may be experiencing, and that you're not alone in how you may be feeling. The first episode of 2024, I'm joined by Sophie. Sophie is an intensive care nurse that took a career break due to the pressures of ICU during and post-COVID. In what would have been four years since we started to first hear about COVID, and a few months before the first patients entered our ICUs, we discussed COVID and the long-term impacts it had and continues to have on the healthcare system and nurses. This is a very raw and honest conversation about why Sophie left ICU. We discussed the idea around what we feel we should be doing as nurses instead of what we may want to do, the reality of burnout, the aftermath of COVID, and that it is brave to say you may need to step away, but how sometimes that makes you feel like a failure. There is also a strong theme on questions and thoughts on trauma, PTSD, and therapy. Sophie and I discuss themes around trauma and PTSD and discuss research we have read, but by no means are we experts or giving advice. And if this episode was triggering, you feel like you need more support, or if you have more questions on these themes, then please seek out advice from a medical professional. I'm in awe and so appreciative of Sophie's honesty and openness about her experiences with nursing and COVID because without people being brave like Sophie, sometimes these topics are not discussed. Although this conversation brought up so many emotions, it felt so very important to have this conversation. And the shining light through it all, as we talk about, is nurses' camaraderie, friendships and bonds, and that our bravery, resilience and the ability to lean on one another is what makes us so special and so special to one another. Sophie, welcome to Humanity is a Beautiful Thing podcast. So good to see you and to be able to chat. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) I'm so glad that you agreed to come on. So I think we should start by you 
letting the audience know your background and let us know about your career and all the things that you've done since you started nursing, really. Yeah, so I qualified in 2017. Um, was qualified maybe, I mean, days before I knew that I wanted to go into ICU. I'd never walked into an ICU before um, until I walked into one for my interview. And I just thought, you know what, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, and I always thought with nursing, the beautiful thing is you can do what you want. You can try things. And if it's not for you, you can move on. So, yeah, I started in an ICU, very small one. It was maybe eight eight beds, a little HU next to it. And it was a whirlwind. <laughs> it was definitely different. And as a newly qualified, it was like, nothing that they ever teach you in a classroom but it was amazing it was I mean I still have moments from that job that come to me now when I'll sort of be doing something else and I'll suddenly think of oh remember that and things that really stick with you like you know your first death your first sort of admission your first scary moment that you thought oh no what have I done <laughs> um and then the first moment you thought yeah like I could do this so I was in that one for about a year and a half and then I thought do you know what a new challenge something bigger London that'll be fun mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so I moved to London and started in much bigger hospital there and that was very different that was like being thrown in at the deep end going from eight beds on one floor done to 30 beds on one floor and another floor and another floor and another, (laughs) you know, you you didn't know where to look or turn. And so that was definitely different, but it was fast paced. It was fun. I learned a lot very quickly and I was there maybe six months, seven months, and then COVID hit. (laughs) And So then I probably left ICU. Oh my God, it's like over a year now, which is (laughs) has flown by. So it's about a year and four months since I've left. Um, I took a little break and I've been in my current job nine months now. And it's the complete opposite. (laughs) It's probably probably not as opposite as you can get, but it's pretty opposite. Um, I now work in the community as a palliative care nurse specialist. And yeah, if you wanted to talk a little bit about leaving intensive care and what kind of brought you to the career change and to leave ICU and to leave ICU nursing. It was not a decision I ever really thought I would make. Um, Perhaps after the pandemic, um, it felt like, oh yeah, that's actually probably more of a reality than I realised. But I mean, when I signed up for ICU, I thought that was that was it. Like, that was my career. That was me for the next, I don't know, nurses go on forever, don't they? But I didn't want to go on forever, but the next 20 years or so, at least, you know. Um, and I probably felt like that up until maybe just coming out of the pandemic. Um, I felt like, oh, okay, maybe... Not that ICU is not for me, but maybe maybe I need a break. Maybe I need a timeout. And it's like the taboo, almost taboo, not taboo, but being burnt out in nursing is something that 
everyone whispers about and jokes about and you think about and you always think oh, could I <laughs> could I be and then you think no no it's fine um because that's just who we are as people we are determined to give our all to the very end no matter what um and I didn't want to there was definitely a part of me that thought I didn't want to admit that and I didn't want to acknowledge that maybe I was starting to feel burnt out but you know I was starting to not enjoy the shifts I always enjoyed the people and they probably get me got me through longer than I thought I would but I wasn't enjoying it I was sort of picking out more and more frustrations and getting more and more annoyed at like things that were out of my control at work and I was letting that get the better of me and the service I was sort of doing I mean my boyfriend and I we talked a bit when we first met about oh one day I'd love to just you know take a year off work and go traveling and that would be really fun and then you sort of think well there's never a good time to do that because you're in it you're in your job you don't want to leave you want to just keep going but then that year so 2022 suddenly thought "Mm, actually maybe that is the right thing and maybe maybe that's what I need and maybe I can't do this anymore not that I can't but maybe I don't want to and maybe actually I I don't want to do it like this anymore and I don't think staying I could have stayed I mean it's not like I was sort of hating myself and it was really down and I wasn't in that sort of space but I just think it would have taken me a long time to have then felt and like got back to the place where I was like loving life and loving my work and so it just kind of fell into a natural place of okay you know we're in London the rent's coming up on our flat rent's so expensive we didn't want to move like we couldn't bother to go through all that I was starting to get this sort of cold feet about work and and my boy my boyfriend was about his job you know he wanted to move on and we just thought okay well you know life is short (laughs) what are we waiting for let's just let's just do it so handed him a notice we decided this in the May I just handed him my notice that month and then by August I was I was out and we went traveling for three months up until Christmas um around South Asia and did it without really kind of appreciating what I was doing you know giving up a career maybe it was only going to be for a little bit I did have that part of me that thought okay but maybe I'll just go back like I'll get home from traveling I have a nice Christmas and then I'll be ready and it took a lot for me to like give myself some grace and say, actually, maybe you don't want, maybe you don't need to go back. Maybe that's fine. Maybe you just try something new. So that's what we did. And I still sort of felt like, is this, is this right? Like, um, but it was amazing. And it was definitely the space, you know, the physical space, the physical distance between like a whole nother world and what. I'd left behind was huge and I did come back in January and then I kind of just sort of fell into palliative care spent days going through like NHS jobs and like looking into different careers and thinking what what do I want to do and the parts that I loved about ICU I was like how do I take those bits 
and put them into something better, <laughs> if that's even possible. Um, and one of the parts, you know, I really loved was being able or, or giving your all to try and achieve something for someone, whatever that goal is. Often in ICU, it's, it's life-saving. But giving your all to being able to, you know, give your best to someone and then walking away from the situation and thinking, yeah, like I really really gave my best and you know they had the best of whatever it was that they wanted um and I guess that's kind of how I like sort of tripped and fell into palliative care <laughs> was... yeah yeah for sure yeah then do you think that leaving ICU and having the career break as you said you sort of questioned it and went back and forth but did you mm-hmm. also feel like it was something that was very necessary for you yeah I think like I said, I think I could I could have stayed and I could have maybe tried to like change my hours or ask for like working pattern or something to try and like improve my own quality of life. But I just think I would have been sort of prolonging the inevitable and I don't think I was ever going to get back to that sort of, you know, happiness of, you know, nursing. And this is what I want to do. Like I, I can't do anything else but this. I don't want to do anything else but this. I don't think I could have got there without the gap and without the the time away um uh because I really I mean I kept thinking all I know is how to be a nurse I don't know how to do anything else like how how can I just walk away from that like of course I can't which is why a part of me thought okay well I'll have the break and then I'll just go back because that's what I should be doing I should be going back you know you feel and I think it's a it's a strange sort of phenomenon (laughs) that nurses feel is this like should I should be doing this because I'm a nurse like I I should still be nursing even when you don't want to or you feel like you can't anymore or you're not sure if it's right for you there's that part of you saying no but but I trained to be a nurse I have to be a nurse I can't be anything else um and I definitely had an element of that but more in the sense of but I really enjoy it and and why didn't I enjoy why was I not enjoying it I can I definitely don't think I could like separate out what I was what it was that was making me feel like that until I really like walked away from it and like thought oh I'm never I'm never going back in that building um which is really weird I mean it's still sort of weird to think about it now it feels like a life a lifetime ago but yeah it's like why some did- of the best time of my life really yeah absolutely what kind of made you feel like I can't when you're like I actually now that I've had the break and I thought I could go back and you're like now I actually know I like I can't I think I just can't like picture that and I pictured walking back in and doing it all again and being faced with the same issues the landscape has changed a lot since the pandemic I mean the whole tide has changed really and it's quite a hard thing to adjust to when you know what I like fell in love with and wanted to do was like the pre-covid ICU Mm -hmm. and the tide changed so much um, and you know healthcare changed so much and the pressure on the NHS changed so much that I just thought but how what can what will I achieve differently if I go back now 
Like, will I achieve anything differently? Will anything be different apart from maybe the hospital, the people, the processes, the routine, but actually the fundamentals of it, what is going to be different? Yeah, absolutely. And I think something you said before as well definitely resonates with me too in that what you should do and what how you should feel and that element of like I think nursing becomes almost this sort of identity um, for us all and yeah. I think it's very hard to step away from that or to even f- like fathom what it would be like to step away from that. Um, and I think there's the element of pride. I think mm-hmm. there's an element of being so proud of what you do and, and feeling oh, yeah. so much purpose in that, that the idea of leaving that behind is, is really scary, but it's also exactly what you were saying too. Then no one can really admit that they're burnt out, um, or that it might be time to let it go or to move on or to do something different. And I think mm-hmm. especially in intensive care, the playing field and what you're doing every day and um, how fast paced it is and how much critical thinking you need to use every single day. And that kind of adrenaline and fast paced work is so rewarding and uh, and amazing, but it's also, yeah, it's very hard to continually do that day in, day out for years on end. But at the same time you start to be like, but what else would I do or where else would I go? And that can Mm -hmm. be such a, difficult space to be in like um what's next and and what else is out there but you know as you also said there are so many other things that you can do and you're very much proof in the pudding being uh, a senior intensive care nurse and loving it and being so amazing to now doing something else that you still have found that you can really enjoy yeah I think it's that and I think it's a funny <laughs> seems like a funny term to use but it's feeling like you failed if if you leave somewhere and you know the intensity like you say the intensity of ICU and the pressure and the way you you get your way you get your adrenaline from to get you through and all those feelings and it's, it is so rewarding so then to kind of step back from that and say actually I don't I don't think I want to do this anymore feels like there's that element of failure um and I definitely, the other thought that definitely came in my mind was like, but everything else is going to be boring. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think that's fair. More, <laughs> what is more exciting than ICU? I mean, it has a bit of everything you want. Um, but then I, as I've now learned nine months in, boring is sometimes quite nice. <laughs> yeah. And like being able to give to yourself and having time and not doing night shifts and sleeping well and being mm. ha- having a little bit more control over what you're doing and your life and like when you're doing a more regular shift pattern. Yeah. And all oh, those definitely. things that I think none of us take for granted because we know how difficult it is, but also none of us really have any concept of what would that would even be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was so strange to go from a shift pattern that you ultimately mostly have no control over you know the days the nights the switching between weekends bank holidays it all just blurs into a day <laughs> you know you kind of lose the meaning of a weekend or a bank holiday because it's just another normal day at work um and I think probably the little gap helped um not going straight from that into a new job that was this complete 180 um because it gave me some like adjustment period to like oh nice slow life (laughs) nice slow life getting up at 
I don't know, like 9 a.m. and chilling. Um, but that was really nice. I thought oh, I have the same the same days off as everyone else. Like all my friends, my family. I don't have to. Someone will ask me, oh, next week, are you free on Saturday? And I can be like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't have, you know, it's my own, it's my own life getting in the way then, not work life. Yeah. I don't have to book things off. <laughs> Yeah. three months uh, in advance and hope that it, I get it like I don't, I don't have to do any of that anymore. and I thought that was like a real novelty um so that bit I very much enjoyed but the novelty does wear off <laughs> and you soon realize you know you're in that it can I guess I can see how people would feel that's monotonous because it is the same every week you know your shift pattern in the sense of you know, Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday off every single week. Yeah, for um, sure. As we we were talking about earlier, like I think there is something to be very grateful for in, in that shifts can be also like a blessing in other ways in terms of, yeah, there isn't the monotony. You get more days off during the week potentially or you are able to have more days off if you need and also yeah. um, those like stacking of shifts and stuff, which we all love to do in terms of gives you a lot more time off around holidays and all those things. Yeah. So, I mean, those are definitely the oh. things to be grateful for. Yeah, I definitely miss, you know, taking a week off work and it only using like two days of annual leave. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I miss that. <laughs> yeah. Or like you get two weeks off and you've extended it to well over three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely has its perks. Definitely has um, its perks. <laughs> Overall, you know. The quality, my quality of life is definitely better in terms of like not only my social life and like my family life but like my mental health you know I'm I'm not having to be in that space of am I sleeping am I working am I off from work should I be doing this what can I, I need to meal prep I need to do this I need to go to the gym I don't have time to do that you know I'm not in that like hectic circle and I guess you could think, well, how does it feel hectic? Like you, like we say, you know your shift's three months and a month, but I don't know, the time, when you're doing 13-hour 13, 13 shifts, I mean, it's not like doing a nine-hour day. <laughs> it will get you. Um, so it always just felt like that sort of one to the other to the other. And, yeah, I, I knew I was missing out on a lot of things, friends and family-wise, um, with the commitments that, I had at work and I think when everything was starting to sort of bubble up and I was starting to think mm, okay maybe I need a break one of those key things was why why am I what am I giving that lot up for you know it's different when you when you're enjoying it and you're loving it and you're like oh I just you know of course I would give that up any day um and I did I did give it up every day for like five and a half years but I think I just got to that point well well I measure I'm coming to work and I'm measurable half the time the only thing that makes it better is if if I get roted on with someone that is my friend near me and you know in a big big icy like that the chances of getting thinner and thinner as more people were leaving um you know there's a lot of pressure on me there's a lot of responsibility on me that perhaps you know people don't quite comprehend that responsibility and that pressure. I mean, day to day, people have, you know, lay people have no idea, but even sort of personally at work, you'd sometimes think, well, hold on, like this will fall on me. Like, I know it's your mistake, but it might fall on me. Um, and those sorts of things, it was just all sort of stacking up. And I just thought, or, oh, 
you know, this isn't worth it anymore. So. Yeah. And I, yeah, I totally understand that. As you said, if, if you're still enjoying it and loving it and there are parts of the job that you find enjoyable or you're loving, then it, you know, you can justify or you can, I suppose, pragmatically think, well, it, it's okay to miss that, or I'm not going to make that event or the birthday or that mm-hmm. dinner, or I can't go to that last minute drinks because I am rostered on. Mm-hmm. But when, as you said, you're not, you're going in and you're overly stressed and you're have so much responsibility on your shoulders and you're really feeling that impact, Mm -hmm. then I think it's brave to say, well, is this really for me anymore? Mm -hmm. And I think that is hard because it's very true what you said, like that feeling of I've failed or that feeling of like, I couldn't do it anymore is a really, yeah, it's a really difficult, I think, thing to to say. I I think it's kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about this element of like actually admitting that you're burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um and that's really hard. If you are enjoying it and everything's great, as you said, the sacrifices are worth it. Mm-hmm. But when you're feeling that consistent burnout, I think that's when it it's brave to say, I think I need to reassess if this is for me. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think any of us really want to ever do that. I think I was the same. Like I I moved over here. So I got that, I got that element, but I was exceptionally burnt out and it would have been a similar timeframe to you, like five, five years in. And I was so burnt out. And, Mm. um, I obviously got this gracing period moving here and I had a break, um, between starting here and being at home. But Mm. yeah, I don't know what I would have made, what decision I would have made though. Because mm-hmm. it's a very hard thing to give up and something that you spend a lot of time training to do um, and not necessarily just training through nursing in university, but all the training that you do after that to become like an yeah. intensive care, like a senior intensive care nurse, you give up a lot and sacrifice a lot to train and to mm-hmm. study again in order to specialize. I don't think any of us really would want to give that up after we've done it. And that's and that's partly what that added to making the decision hard because I did think like, yes, I'm a man six, but like I don't really have that much that's applicable, you know, apart from your general skills and just general that sort of what that level requires of you in terms of management, which is pretty basic. But like apart from that, I was like, I don't, I don't have any transferable skills really apart from you know the basics like what if that's the issue I think probably I didn't give myself enough <laughs> enough credit for what I did have um but I think yeah like you say there's that worry of but but yeah I wouldn't be able to do anything else or you're thinking I'm gonna have to go and start again somewhere else um and that did cross my mind I did think like am I gonna have to go back like go down a peg to start somewhere new and I just really don't want to do that Mm. (laughs) you know you spent like those five years like getting yourself up to that level um and I think luckily the way the NHS is set up that it is it is doable to transfer band for band for band without with the jobs being quite different (laughs) yeah it's hard to get that up yeah I think after sacrificing and doing all the things I think it's very hard to even think about what would be next what do you think was the catalyst the real catalyst to leaving covid absolutely yeah. COVID pandemic um 
without a shadow of a doubt. Did you feel as though you wanted to leave after COVID though? Not straight away. Um, but I knew, I think I just kept hoping that things would go, go back to how they were. And I just kept hoping that it'll all balance out and, you know, we'll all go back to our normal lives and normal ICU patients and we'll get rid of this, you know, COVID will just go. I mean, I think everyone kind of hopes that, but um, I think I just thought that, well, yes, now that's done, we just go back. We just go as we were, when in actuality, obviously that, that's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy to do when COVID doesn't end. You can't go back. You you have to keep going forward with this new way of how things work and what things look like. You know, the staffing changed dramatically and um, a lot of people that I love to work with left and, and that did make it hard. And I know you shouldn't make decisions <laughs> on your, of your life based on things like that, but that definitely impacted the way I was feeling at work and, and not being able to spend time with all those friendships that you've curated in that sort of intense work environment especially during COVID you know that was so intense and so much pressure and the bonds that you formed were like instant and you were in it and we're in it together and it's done we're doing it and then to lose lose that way of working with people and to lose the people that you were working with during that time just that definitely kicked it off for me that feeling of oh actually this isn't going to be so fun anymore (laughs) Mm. yeah and like there's a lot to be said about yeah exactly what you're saying us as a team working closely together working as a team like your team makes such a difference into how you work and what's happening in the unit and how the shift goes and it's actually an integral part of working in ICU and working together. I read this article that um, did some research and they said that actually people cared less about money and Mm. more about their work environment and who they worked with. And I think in nursing especially and intensive care on top of that, that's an integral part of what like makes and breaks a shift. Uh, And then when aside from all the loss and all the grief and everything that had already happened to then lose like then people that you were close with and people that you were working with probably for the same reasons you were leaving. Mm. uh, Yeah. is very difficult. I know what you mean. It's like, Oh, that's just one part of it, but it is a very big part. Mm. Someone, someone, I can't remember where now, but compared working as a nurse and particularly those that were on the front line in the pandemic, dealing with it in and out, that includes ICU, but also the wards, A&E, compared doing that as to being in war, being in a battle. And that's because that's how, you know, unprepared and traumatic and unexpected and no one would have ever said that that was going to happen in in our lifetime, Um, just like, a war does so when you think of that sort of analogy and then you think of you know nurses on on the front line as these like battle soldiers and the camaraderie you get in that is huge it's a huge part of getting you through it because everything else around you is so rubbish (laughs) so Mm. rubbish in every other way so 
you know, you rely on that. And I definitely remember times in the pandemic turning up and thinking, thank God, like, thank God, because it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter that, you know, with 10 staff down and we're all, you know, looking after three people and there's only two people on at a time, you know, none of it matters if I have these people here with me because we will get through it. And then I think you come out the other side and the pandemic, I mean, it kind of fizzled out in the end. It didn't really end. Um, it just sort of fizzled down into sort of nothingness. And then suddenly you're kind of looking, you've lost your, your comrades. You don't know, you know, you're feeling like, well, hold on a minute. Where did all that go? Because, you know, that was so important. Um, but the fallout from that is the trauma that it caused. And it caused trauma to the patients, the relatives, families, workers, anyone that was in that everyone felt an element of trauma and then that just kind of makes everything crumble and fall apart a little bit and I suppose that aftermath isn't it like maybe the trauma felt initially made people step away and to to leave and and whatnot but then from all accounts obviously it took you longer um Mm -hmm. to come to the realization that you were like okay like I can't I can't do this because what was it in the end maybe a year later I mean yeah because you can't really say when the pandemic ended but let's say maybe 2021 (laughs) maybe ish Um, (laughs) benchmark 2021 um yeah it was probably heading into 2022 definitely yep it wasn't long and it was long in the same time like two years of that is COVID now, like when you think back to it but it felt like it all it was all still happening I think that's what a lot of people didn't realize particularly in in hospitals but still in ICU is when the world all moved on and got over it and decided okay we're done with this now let's let's just go back to how we want to go we didn't you know we were still getting people in still dealing with it still gowning mask you know mm. going through all that so it never really left us no and so then that's quite a hard like thing to deal with because you're thinking well I'm still going through it it's still impacting my work life but everyone else is moving on we were masked up and gowned up for yeah for such a long time and as you said it was sort of like everyone carried on and we were very much still living it um yeah well well past when other people were when what seemingly felt like things had gone back to some sort of normality yeah yeah and actually thinking of it in the sense of like you know that war analogy you know anyone out there who was in a hospital in that time knows that it felt like that you know our post-war what do what do all, all the soldiers have most of them have PTSD, but that was just not a, it was not really talked about until much later in the pandemic, you know, when we'd gone, wait, one, two, three, four, you know, not until we were getting to that point and suddenly people thought, oh, okay, like, actually, maybe it's not going away as quick as we want, um, but actually people started talking about our resilience and our mental health and how we're coping with it having to see this day in day out and I think there was a there was some talk um 
I remember reading in the media quite a bit um, of ignorant people, but saying that, well, you're nurses, you deal with trauma every day. So it's just nothing new to you. Get over it, it's your job, da da da, all that sort of market. I remember thinking it like, okay, that's interesting. Um, do you want to come and do my job? <laughs> but there was a lot of, you know, it's what you signed up for. Yeah, definitely. I remember in 2017 when I picked up my degree, signing up for a pandemic, a global pandemic. Um, but there was a lot of that. And again, it's that pressure feeling like I can't fail. Like I can't, well, I can't quit then because this is what I signed up for. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is, this is nursing. And it's like, actually, this is, this is not normal nursing. Like this is extreme. This is such unpredictable circumstances. So actually maybe we should give ourselves a bit of grace and acknowledge that this takes quite a lot of resilience and it takes quite a lot of strength and mental strength to to pick yourself up day in day out especially through those peak times um and keep coming back and there were people that I knew that that didn't come back couldn't come back they couldn't bring themselves to to come in and see that at work day in day out and I think you know it takes a lot to step away and I think that time in particular probably felt like the hardest time to step back because then you think, but I'm I'm leaving, I'm leaving my colleagues in this. I have to keep going. Um, but actually, I think you know, in hindsight, it's a beautiful thing. But I think in hindsight, perhaps maybe at the time where I was one of those people who thought, oh my God, like, come on, <laughs> like we need you now more than ever. Um, you can't leave us. Hindsight, I think actually more power to you because what what good does it do anyone having someone come in going through that horrible horrible mental space and trying to save lives like it just it's not gonna it's not gonna do anyone any good like you're you're better off prioritizing yourself and by prioritizing yourself you're prioritizing patience inevitably yeah absolutely and I think what you're saying too is like that resilience and it does require a lot of resilience and it requires a lot of resilience in the longevity Mm -hmm. of the job. And I think COVID has spoken very much to like exactly that um, Mm -hmm. and what you likened it to with the military and going through like a traumatic situation and a traumatic time that then leaves those wounds and scars and things like that and on and all PTSD. Mm. But it's also like the reality of the job in general for me too is, mm. you know, it was only ever spoken about because of COVID. And as you said, how long into COVID was it even acknowledged? And in actual fact, it rec- the job requires resilience from the minute you step into the door through those doors and yeah. I, you know I that is something I think that isn't spoken about or isn't really highlighted like how much resilience you need to actually mm-hmm. be able to do that job if you're going to also keep yourself mm-hmm. in a good headspace and have good well-being and have good mental health like I think there's so much to be said about none of us are really aware of the impact 
of the job. I had been doing some research into it because it was something that was like had been playing on my mind for a long time and then COVID happened and exactly what you said, then it was sort of being discussed and then those feelings really came to the surface. Mm. So I started looking into it and to like if anyone had actually done any research on nurses and yeah, what they experience, the things they're Mm. seeing and what's like what trauma they may or may not be experiencing. And it was interesting because I thought maybe it's like some of us at different times or some of us do and some of us don't. But what came to light was I found this, it's sort of deemed secondary, it's called secondary trauma or the other way that's another one that they talk about is vicarious trauma. But it was talking about how you being witness to other people's grief and other people's traumas then comes back onto you. So it's essentially like what transfers onto you based on the trauma that you're Mm. experiencing and more so what you're seeing and what you're kind of privy to based on the fact that you are a nurse in those situations. Yeah. And I found this secondary traumatic stress scale and I read through it and it was like, have you felt this way in the last seven days or you know, and I just burst into tears because half of the list was how I'd felt in the last seven days. And then the other half of the list was how I'd felt when I'd started and Mm -hmm. I'd had no real like awareness of what was going on and didn't really know where to put any of it or any emotions or, or anything like Mm -hmm. that. And I, Yeah, I sort of cried for how I was feeling in the moment, but also cried for like my younger self and when I'd started and all of the things I had felt and seen then. And it's obviously then score yourself. And it obviously dawned on me then, I'm like, if I feel like this, Mm -hmm. then the chances are we all feel like this. Yeah. And we need to be able to to discuss this more and to be more aware of it and find tools um, and resources, whether that's to help yourself um, or to help each other. Mm. But I think it's something that's when I read that I was like, this is um, this is obviously bigger than mm. I even thought it was. Yeah, and I think that's exactly how a lot of nurses would feel because you you bury you you don't even think you're burying you think that you're just fine you don't even realize what you're buried and then you do something like that and you read those lines and you think oh my oh my god that is me I mean interestingly that's exactly what a PTSD questionnaire is it's those have you felt or have you had problems sleeping or have you felt irritable towards people you love and that's out of character in the last slightly longer time scale in the last three months I remember thinking oh my god yes I mean I've <laughs> always sort of felt a bit of that and maybe I'm not scoring for for PTSD at that point those are things that actually you know any any other person without those stresses and without like you say witnessing sort of secondhand trauma day in day out probably just doesn't even read those questions and think of course not <laughs> why would I <laughs> Or you think, oh, yeah, I had a really bad day, like that one day at work, and that was quite hard. And that's it in the last three months. So that's really interesting. I mean, all of the um, the sort of mental health questionnaires are framed like that. I know this because I did them when I, I think, where would we get to in, in COVID waves? 
So we had March 2020, April 2020, and then it kind of fizzled out into summer. We had a real summer in 2020 and everyone thought, oh my God, great. That was horrible. I'm so glad we don't have to do this again. I remember, you know, the ICU emptied out. Everyone was getting annual leave days. It was like summer of fun. And you just kind of thought, yeah, this is, that was weird. What a weird time. And then it came back and it was sort of around, we went into a lockdown in November, 2020. So it was around then that we were doing it all again. And it was worse. (laughs) As if we thought it could get worse. It was worse. Um, And it was going into like the Christmas period. It was like the beginning of December. And everyone would keep asking me. I mean, you know what it's like when you have non-nurse, non-nurse friends. Everyone's like, oh my, what is it like? What is it like? How do you do that? What are you doing every day? Like how many people has you seen and die today? Like, oh, is this all true? Like are the facts and figures true? And you have to, yeah, yeah, it is true. It's actually worse than they're telling you. But you know, you're having to re-give that information over and over again. And it's not really things that you want to talk about. So you're going through that. I just think, I don't even know what triggered to me. I think I just got to the point where I was having, I was having nightmares. I was having like flashbacks. I knew something was kind of wrong, but I had that period of thinking, this is, it's just the job. It's just, it's going to happen. It is what it is. And I remember telling people that and I would tell people, especially like my boyfriend, he would be like, you haven't slept, like you're having nightmares something is wrong like you're waking up crying like something is wrong and I remember thinking no it's just I'm just having like a stressful time we're all going through it it's fine it'll be over don't worry about it and then after November 2020 I suddenly was like oh this is not not going away and I'm actually think this is what the the January from the beginning of the year is gonna look like I don't know when this is gonna end and it's getting worse and it's so much harder and I think I just took it upon myself. I think I literally Googled like, how do I sort of self-refer? And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, I think I have PTSD. What do I do? And this really lovely receptionist rang me after I did my online referral. And she was asking me the questions and it was based off these questionnaires. And I was like hysterically crying on the phone to her. And I was like, I'm so sorry. She was like, um, it's okay. Mm. <laughs> she was like, do you want a minute and I was like no no keep going but it was just bringing it all up without me even realizing but someone asking me like you know how often have you had nightmares about something traumatic like this one traumatic thing and I'd literally be like what are the options and it was like never rarely sometimes often always that sort of scale and I'm thinking well I guess it's more than sometimes is it often Actually, it was probably more than often. I was thinking, mm. oh my God. Okay. But I kind of felt like, okay, well, at least this feels like the right thing I'm doing. Um, and then the therapist rang me and she was called Sophie as well. And she was just like, yeah, so based off your scores. I- so I think I scored like a three for depressive symptoms, which is like none to minimal, but still not zero. A four on anxieties, which was like none low risk. And then the PTSD, this is interesting because actually like looking through the literature, it's all very mixed on what classes and the scales for PTSD and what score you would get to say, yes, you did. But based off the questions, which are all quite heavy and they're quite like these horrible questions about flashbacks and nightmares. And 
disassociation and all these horrible things, the average person wouldn't be scoring really on that day to day. So they vary. Some of them are out of like 30, 35. Some of them go up to 80, depending on how they've weighted the answers. I think the one I did was out of 35. And I scored like 20. And I was like, Mm. oh, okay. That's quite high. Um, And I think it didn't technically, again, based off the scale, it didn't actually technically take me into, yes, you definitely have it which is mad, but it took me into the like, mm, more than likely, if you've had something traumatic happen, this is probably what it is. Um, so then I started therapy and it was, it still felt a little bit like, is this cheat? Like, is my cheating? Like, is this, should I be doing this? Should I be getting therapy just to do my job? Like, I didn't, didn't feel... I didn't feel completely like comfortable in it, but I knew that if I was going to get through whatever was coming and be able to do my job and also be able to be a human being at home, I was like, I have, I have to try something. I, I really think it is. And it's funny because again, hindsight, looking back at the time, people were asking me about it. And uh, so I obviously told my friends and family I was doing it and, be able to be like yeah it's terrible but I never wanted to go into detail because I just didn't want to risk bringing it all back up and then actually once I completed my therapy then people were still asking me because obviously we were still in it and I'd be able to go into massive amounts of detail without even like batting an eyelid about it so that I found I didn't realize I was protecting myself kind of thing I was doing that to protect myself from going there but at the time, I just was like, well, no one wants to talk, really talk about COVID. Like, no one actually wants to know the reality. So I'm just going to brush over it type of thing. So then I did seven sessions on Zoom. And that was really weird. But you get used to it, the technicalities. And I had my lovely therapist called Sophie. And she, in the first sessions, we talked a lot about PTSD. And she was like, you know, I got seen very quickly, by the way, because I do think at the time they were prioritising frontline staff so that helped because I think I literally called maybe beginning of December and then we had I had my intro session before Christmas and then I started in between Christmas and New Year um but yeah so in the beginning she taught me through a lot of like PTSD and because I felt a bit like oh I don't know if I want that I don't know if I want to say that I have that because that feels very heavy and it feels very real we talked about it in ways that a little bit like you're talking about with that second secondary trauma there are lots of things that you don't realize are traumatic you just kind of think of them as oh you acknowledge that they're bad and then you kind of just have to move on because that's the nature of the job you don't have time to dwell on it you need to move on to the next thing to the next thing and then we talked about like what were my triggers and it was kind of hard to say because obviously the environment that we're in was changing constantly but I had vivid vivid I said do you know what actually like when I pin it down this one particular nightmare that you know nightmares are really horrible because you don't even realize you're having, you're having them until you're in it um mm-hmm. was walking into the same unit on this one night shift and they're only being like you know six seven of us for like 
30, 35 patients or something like that. Um, and, you know, seeing people, I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to traumatize anyone else, but, you know, seeing the beds lined up like all these people on their ventilators and it just being like, what, what is this? Like, how is this mm. real life? Like, how is this our life? Like, what? Um, so, yeah, that was always like, for me, that seemed to be the trigger. So I talked about that a bit. Um, and then in the first session, she taught me through this thing called EMDR. And she said it's quite new in the way that, you know, people are still trying talking therapies a lot first. Um, and that was partly what put me off, partly because that's all I knew about was like CBT. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna have to like talk about, talk about it. It's exactly what I've been trying not to do. Um, is talk about it. And she said, but it's been shown to be very effective with PTSD because it avoids talking about it. And actually what we realize is when you're talking about it, that's re-traumatizing. You're having to live the trauma again. And we, we don't want to do that. We want to try and process it. So EMDR is eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. Um, and basically how it works is traumatic memories um, that are unprocessed get stuck in your brain. And your brain is a solver. So it keeps trying to go back to that stuck memory and unpick it, fix it, process it in some way, um, particularly trauma. So it's something that's been really horrible for you. So it's trying to go back and go, no, how can we make this not horrible? Like, how do we get rid of it? Um, but because it keeps going back to it, you get these recurrent dreams, nightmares, flashbacks, intrusive memories, all that sort of thing, because your brain can't leave it alone because it's like, no, we don't, we don't want this here because it's horrible but we can't get it away either. We don't know how to get it out. Um, so it's a, pro it's a therapy that was developed fairly recently for therapy, to be fair, late 1980s. And there wasn't really studied um, and in the media and in sort of therapy, in all the manuals until early 2000s. So that's pretty new mm. for therapies. Absolutely. Um, and it was this lady called Francine Shapiro. And she basically discovered this because she was walking through the park and she was having negative thoughts and horrible memories of something that traumatic that had happened to her. And as she was walking through the park, she flicked her eyes up at the trees. She's walking down like an avenue of trees, flicking her eyes like this. And she realized as she was doing that, she felt better. She felt better in herself and she did it like a few days in a row. And then suddenly she could think about the horrible memory and the negative thoughts weren't coming. She could picture the memory and it really wasn't there anymore. And she, she processed it. So that's where it came from. <laughs> yeah, you have this horrible memory that's stuck and your brains keep trying to go back and get it. And it can't, it doesn't know how to solve it because it's a traumatic thing. And what EMDR does is makes you focus on the memory directly. So you're, I feel like you're sort of squaring up to it and you reprogram the memory until it is no longer inducing trauma. And the way you do that is by doing this side to side, um, I guess for audio members, 
finger moves side to side and you're following that finger, tracking it like this with your eyes, thinking of the, the horrible thing. Another way I did it, I did that initially for a couple of sessions. Another way she taught me was tapping. So you like tap your shoulders quite rhythmically, one side, the other, one side, the other. Close your eyes and think of this trauma thing. And I remember <laughs> telling me about it and me thinking, what? how what that doesn't even sound like it works um we did it and the first few were horrible don't get me wrong it was pretty rough because you're in it and because you're not it takes a while to takes these several sessions to process finally that memory it's not a simple like okay one lot of side to side and you're done so you are sitting in that for that time but she was very good she'd be saying to me like you're not there you're not there you're safe you're fine and I remember the first session I did you know, it was quite horrible but I finished and she was like how do you feel because it's about I'm trying to remember how long it was now I think we used to do like an hour session but you know there was a bit of sort of warm-up intro talking stuff then we do several rounds of the eye movement if I needed a break or whatever and then we do some like wrapping up. And so we finished this first session. She's like, how do you feel? And I was like, I feel like light as a feather. I feel great. She's like, oh, great. <laughs> um, and then I remember finishing. I like wrapped up, um, went to the other room. So my boyfriend, I was like, oh my God, like amazing. Like, I love this thing. Like, I feel great. And then it came to like going to bed and I could Oh, I was in it it was coming back I was like hysterically crying I didn't sleep basically all night because it was just so real and I thought oh no <laughs> like all that what have I done like something's I've done it wrong like how has this happened and I remember messaging her and being like she was like I'll record how you feel she did I think she did warn me that it might not be supposed to be after I was like oh, I'm fixed <laughs> um and she did say oh, I don't think it's going to be quite as smooth as that um I remember messaging her and being like oh my god I feel I feel horrible like is this normal and she was like it's because you're you know you're in it and it's not going and blah, blah, blah. so that was only the first time but I remember thinking I went from this really like high happy yes I've done it I'm fixed <laughs> to suddenly mm. oh no I didn't do anything um but it did work I think I got to about four or five sessions in and I started really struggling to picture the image. I couldn't even picture the unit. I was like, it's hazy. It's a bit fuzzy. Like, I don't really, it's not really that upsetting to me. And I was like, oh, it's working. Like, this is happening. Um, and then, yeah, we finished it. Um, she said, well, we'll do like a six, seven session, see how you go, whatever. I ended up doing seven in the end because I was like, no, I just want to be sure. <laughs> I got to six and then she was like I think you could and I was like no I'm gonna do one more because what if <laughs> yeah. um and then I did the questionnaires again and it was zero 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 across the board nothing and I thought oh, yes this is great and since then I can barely picture the image in a way especially in a way that feels traumatic. Like I picture it and I'm just like, man, yeah, well, um, you know, I, I went back to work. Suddenly I felt like I had this 
of power in the sense of like, okay, if anything does happen, um, if there's anything that you go home, you know, if you're going to have a nightmare again, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I was on edge um, through the first couple of weeks, definitely, because I was reliving this, what was traumatic and thinking, how am I going to, but I thought, no, you have, you have the tools, you have the ability, if you were to have a nightmare, tap your way out of it. And definitely that was also like my first foray into anything sort of slightly, I mean, it's not really alternative, but like, you know, that sort of um, approach into like giving yourself tools. And sometimes they are physical tools. And I never really sort of dabbled in that. I just kind of got on with stuff after that. I recommended it to everyone. And I said, even if you're not sure, like even if you do it and you think, oh, I mean, I don't really have PTSD, um, it's worth trying in the sense of giving yourself that that tool for the future. And yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Soph. Um, that's yeah. amazing. And I'm so I'm so glad that it that it worked. Mm-hmm. Um and it is very true, like as you said, like those alternative approaches or the different tools and resources that are available. Um, And yeah, sometimes people don't really want to sit down and talk for an hour. Some people that's really helpful and for others it's not. So Mm. it is, I think it's so important to know that there are other tools and resources out there that Mm. that are definitely super beneficial. Um, Mm. And I think it's also something that you spoke to as well was that feeling of like her telling you that you were safe. and also that you then went into work and you're like, it is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think when you get to a place where you have something or a crutch or that tool or resource to use that to make yourself know that it will be okay and that mm-hmm. you will be okay and that you are safe. I think that's a big thing, um, that fear of what we're going to feel and that fear of what's going to happen I think is that is that sense of of not feeling safe. Yeah. Um, and I think not a lot of us want to, I think that's not how many of us would describe it because we're adults and or we're nurses in our job. So mm-hmm. it's like, but there is that element of feeling safe. Um, and I think feeling like you feeling safe and that you're in control of yourself um, yeah. and your own emotions and things. Cause sometimes to dwell deep and to feel emotions and to feel what you're actually going through is terrifying. Like mm-hmm. it is so terrifying sometimes yeah. to feel those things. It's exactly yeah. what you said. I didn't want to talk about it. I don't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. And I like we've we've all been there. Like the idea of don't even ask. Like, you mm-hmm. know, almost like please don't ask me how my day yeah. was. Like I actually yeah. really can't because even go going- there you you can't understand what my day was no matter I don't have the words to tell you what my day was unless you were there with me and that's partly what also put me off like talking therapy was the fact of how like I'm gonna try and explain this to a person who has absolutely no idea just how real and traumatic that was like I just didn't feel like that was gonna connect for me I just thought maybe a little bit selfish and it sounds a bit like um you don't get it (laughs) but people don't get it I mean you you can't get it unless you're in it and you're in a hospital and you're seeing it and I think that was a hard part of 
people feeling like they got it and they were like mm, yeah it must be so bad and you're <laughs> they're like yeah but do you know how bad there's Australian comedian and he's also an artist and his name's Ando and he has this TV series about where he interviews influential Australians and he interviews a very world-renowned neurosurgeon as these people are being interviewed he he paints them um so it's kind of a reflection oh. of them as a as a person That's in who funny. they are and their background and not just a portrait and so they're having their discussion and um, the neurosurgeon's name's Charlie Teo. And he says, he, he's like, you know, sometimes I get home from, from work and my wife's complaining about the neighbours. And he goes, I just want to scream at her. Like I cut into an eight-year-old's brain today. Mm-hmm. He goes, but I have to remember that she didn't choose this life. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And that she doesn't understand what that is because she didn't choose to do this. And I yeah. and yeah. I think that speaks like volumes to that and that element of not necessarily wanting to not necessarily wanting to discuss um what happened because as you said, you're not really gonna understand. And that's okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very hard to describe our job and to describe what it's like. And I don't think anyone understands what it's like to be in intensive care until you've been in one. I think people who've had relatives and family members um, or have been in one themselves can appreciate it if you're, if you're not a nurse or a doctor or or a um, part of the multidisciplinary team. But I think it also then goes back to our conversation at the start of what that feels like and that impact when your friends leave and the people mm-hmm. that are your comrades and the people standing mm-hmm. next to you because you never can really describe what it's like to have these people in your life that become your friends and for me here in the UK like my family as your well family, yeah. my family and then also to work alongside each other every day through things that you yeah you cannot you cannot describe them and it's it, there's sometimes like not even really words, mm-hmm. you know, but you understand each other, you get mm-hmm. each other. And I think in talking about when you feel safe, I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. Like yeah, when you're around each other, when you see each other, even if you go out and have a drink together and you see each other outside of work, I just feel like there's such an element of feeling so safe and so yes. understood with one another. Mm-hmm. And I think above all, all of the things that we've talked about and everything that's, you know, so hard about it. I continues to be like so grateful. My nursing friends family. and yeah, my <laughs> nursing family. Because gosh, I don't think you get through, Sasha. I think it's that element of yeah, just feeling safe. I think you can't really put into words what like what everyone means to you. Yeah. Yeah. And even now, like, you know, I still think of myself like yeah I'm an, I'm an ex-ICU nurse so like I went through that I did that and I still need my ICU nurse family to be like wait no we went through, remember <laughs> I Absolutely. still need that I can't I and I still want to hear about it yeah and also exactly that I know if I came to you 
and needed to talk about it or explain something or be mm -hmm. like, you know, and this and this is what happened and this is what it was like, et cetera. And I wouldn't even need to tell you how it felt because you'd understand how it felt. Obviously varying situations and obviously how we personally feel, each of us. Yeah. But, yeah, that feeling heard and understood um, is just like such a big part of the job and I think that's what you said earlier. Like it's kind of that's what half of the time makes it like mm -hmm. makes the job it's a shame that we have to go through those periods of trauma of feeling you know not fake but not feeling like you identify with the role that you so badly want to be in you know all those down moments a secondary trauma I think it's a shame that we go through all of that before we realize how much we need each other and that stems back to you know the way we're taught I don't remember the word resilience ever coming up in my nursing education because it's so hard to know what that looks like for each person because that is different for every person and I get that if you'd have taught if you teach that to a room of sort of you know 60 nurse undergrads well one's gonna go here there one's gonna go there one's gonna do this one's probably gonna leave nursing one's gonna go and have a baby you know everyone's resilience is going to look different. So I know there's no sort of postcard you can put it on and say, take this home and go and use it wherever you go. But I just think that acknowledgement that actually <laughs> it's going to be pretty tough and you're going to need each other. And we have, and we've needed each other. And I think the beauty of being nurses is we do, we lean on each other because we know we need to we're not afraid to do that it's you know I talk about we've talked a lot about things that maybe we feel are weak like saying you know you're burnt out or things aren't right for you but leaning on others leaning on your colleagues mm. <laughs> is not weak and I think that's the one shining beauty perfection you know that's the one perfect thing I think nursing has is our comradeship our familyness. There's no word. I'm making all words now. <laughs> no, familyness. I'm going to go with that one. I like it. Um, but it's so true. Like you, yeah, you'll never be able to explain the the bonds of nurses with one another. Down or sit, to... at, sit at a dinner table with us. <laughs> yeah, or don't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's um it is very special and yeah, I continue to feel that way. I'm like the re like the connections that I've made. I think what you also find is like there's little patches of us all around the world and I think yeah. that's what's amazing too. Like the same thing, like all of my beautiful nursing friends in Australia and then obviously over here, it's the same thing, all my nursing friends and family here in, mm. in the UK. Like there's a special bunch of us all over the world and yeah. I think everywhere you go, no matter where you are, we'll always connect and I think there is something super special in that. And as you said, not weak in that we lean on each other and we know who understands us and who who's there for us mm, yeah what a beautiful last sentiment Ali that was lovely. I and on that note I think that is the most uh beautiful way to end and Sophie thank you so much for being so open speaking to what 
I'm sure is still and can still be traumatic. So thank you. And thank you for being my nursing family. (laughs) Thank you so much. I think we've talked about a lot of very useful, beautiful, interesting things. Um, But thank you so much for giving us the space to have this conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the show, share the episode, or write a review. And remember, I'm here. You are here. We are all here through our purpose to care for humanity. But please do not forget, you and the life you desire are just as important as the purpose you chose.